Hi, and welcome to Gaelic Chats with episode three. I'm Ellie. We've got Nina back this week. Hello, it's lovely to be back. We've booted James off because this week is a special week. We're doing some special episodes for International Women's Day. So Nina, do you have any female role models that you look up to? There are a couple of people that I could think of pretty instantly. The first one, it might sound cheesy, but the first one is probably my mum because she is very kind-hearted, down-to-earth, and throughout the whole of this pandemic, she has continued working, uh, volunteering, I should say, um, with our local food bank and continuing being incredible help to them all the time. And uh, unfortunately, such a time where food banks are so prominent in society, it's lovely that we've got people like her going and working there. Um, the second one I would say is my singing teacher um, who has really helped me just in general come out of my shell and develop my performance and really solidify that this is what I want to do in life. A lot of information but they're very inspirational to me. I would like to return the question, who are your female role models Ellie? Honestly I'm gonna have to say Faye and Rach and the Garrick, they're gonna kill me for saying it but you know they've done so much for us. We turned up to the Garrick as shy little children and they worked their backsides off to help us come out of our shells and really be confident women. So, I second that. Speaking of inspirational women, we've got three lovely local ladies from Greater Manchester for you to listen to this week. Yeah, this episode looks our interview with Maggie Oliver. Jasmine and I got to speak to Maggie earlier in the week and we spoke about how young women can protect themselves on social media, how they can empower themselves from day to day. And Maggie told us a lot about her foundation and the work they do. That sounds like an amazing opportunity to speak to somebody about all of these issues. And we must say that if at any point during the next 45 minutes you feel that you do fancy a chat with somebody about anything, please read through the information for today's episode on whichever app you're using to find places of where to get support. Without further ado, this is episode three on International Women's Day 2021. Garrick Chats with Maggie Oliver. girls you're right yes thank you are you i'm fine thank you not too bad how are you girls you're not far from me are you in stockport uh well normally yeah but today uh, podcast hq is actually in ordenshaw <laughs> oh, well i'm just in altrincham so i'm not a million miles away no. from you no not at all no not from a further back in Stockport, anyway. <laughs> um, well, Ellie and Jasmine are really keen to chat with you. I know they've been really excited to have this conversation. So, um, girls, do you want to let Maggie know what we've been up to? Hi. So, I'm Ellie, and I started off in the youth theatre myself, um, and now I'm in our oldest group, the seniors, but I also help out with the younger groups because okay. um, I really wanted to get involved with working with the younger students and helping them through their theatre journey. Yeah, and it was, it was really important to me to help them out as Faye and Rachel have helped me out, so. That's the way to do it, and, you know, and I guess it's kept you busy through all this uh, lockdown and everything, kept you interested and kept you connected. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. And, and Jasmine, are you involved as well in the theatre? Yeah. The yeah, so I've also been going, I think, about seven years as well, um, and recently started doing the younger groups because, I mean... For me, Garrick was such a nice escape that I wanted to help and like um, give other people the same experience that I had. 
um and I've also really enjoyed doing the podcast like last year and stuff it's really nice to um have that carried on going and having like the escape still even in quarantine I, I like being with people of course like we all do but I think it this is a good I, th- I think I've spoken to so many people that I probably wouldn't have because when you got you know if you've got to go to London and Leeds and Newcastle and you don't get as much done you don't see as many people so I think it's a really good way and of of talking and and reaching more people yeah it's definitely helped us connect hasn't it and have conversations that are important to us like this one um so I wanted to ask because we're doing this episode of the podcast for International Women's Day um and Jasmine and I we have a lot of strong female role models that really empower us like yourself um but I wanted to ask you how do you think that young women can empower themselves um first of all thank you for having me on your podcast it's lovely to come along and and talk to you um and it's really good of you to ask me um how do I think young women can empower themselves well I think I actually think a good answer to start with is see I wear this bracelet all the time and it says she believed she could so she did um and it might sound a little bit you know twee in a way but I think that the first step towards empowerment is to believe in yourself. You know, whatever anybody else believes, if you believe something, I would say fight for what you believe in. You know, find your voice. You you are always going to have people um, who don't agree with you. You're always going to have people who will try to either shoot you down or undermine your confidence. and, and I do think that as you get older, it gets easier to stand your ground. Um, I mean, I remember when I was, you know, very young and at school, I was actually really shy and uh, didn't find it very easy to stand up for myself. I didn't like conflict at all, which I still don't. But um, I think what helped me to start to find my voice was when I had my own children and you're put into a position where you have to fight for somebody else. Um, it's often quite hard to fight your own corner um, because mm. your emotions become involved in that um, fight. Um, I mean, when I, when I was discovering, when I was in Greater Manchester Police, um, that um, children, were not being protected in the way that I felt they should be protected. Um, I was a a lone voice and it it was a very lonely journey and it it actually almost destroyed me. But I had something in me that, that, that I knew what I was saying was true. Um, And I had to find the courage to, stand up against the crowd in spite of what other people may say. So I think believing in yourself is the first step to empowering yourself. And once you have that self-belief, then I think confidence comes with that. Um, But you have to also, you have to develop a a thick skin in a way. Um, Mm. I mean, 
nowadays I'm glad I wasn't a teenager like you know all you young people when you know there's the social media and everything is out there you make a mistake and it can all be over everywhere that that is quite a scary place for for young people to be um so I think caution on social media is a wise um is a wise lesson to learn um perhaps don't plaster everything all over social media but still have have you know confidence in your own convictions and believe that if something doesn't feel right or it doesn't look right it normally isn't right and and believe your instincts probably that's what I'd say Ali thank you um well you're talking about like confidence and stuff and for me I've had um I struggle a bit with like self-confidence and having like or like I have in the past anyway and recently I've been able to overcome that and start wearing stuff that I'm more comfortable in and start acting and like doing stuff that I'm more comfortable in um but one thing that kind of like puts like breaks down the confidence is bit a bit is like for example walking down the street um if I'm like I have to I feel like I have to be more ca um cautious about what I'm wearing or like how I'm acting because I'll have um quite a few cars pulled down with like men like looking or like making judgment um and it's quite scary for me and my sister who also have had the similar experience um so I was wondering if there's any like experiences that you'd be comfortable sharing um like when you were younger if you had any similar things that happened um I mean I remember um being <laughs> I mean it, it's a long time ago <laughs> but I can remember being very very shy um, as a teenager. Um, I didn't grow up far from where you are. Um, I grew up in Sale and in Timperley and I went to Sale Girls Grammar School which is still there. It's now a, a co-educational school um, and it might sound a bit silly but we, we had a, a load of um, builders and workmen in building a big extension when I was there and I can remember walking past the the the, the the, the workmen in school and getting really flustered and you know embarrassed and I, I used to have a terrible habit of getting I, I used to blush really really bright red and I think um, I think being embarrassed and being very self-conscious goes with being young to be honest Jan, Jasmine um, I don't think it's unusual for young people to feel conspicuous and um in relation to, to people pulling up in cars and perhaps targeting um, young girls. And as you know, I, I'm known for working on the grooming gangs. Um, I think caution and awareness is the key to self-protection. Um, so you, you know, a young person, just use your common sense and, and don't put yourself in a in, in a situation where you could be at risk. So, you know, don't walk out at night on your own in the dark in a, um, in a quiet location, because unfortunately there are bad people out in the world um, and there are people who would do you harm. So all you can do is be aware of that and, um, you know, try and be with somebody at night if, you, if you're out in the dark or if you're in a quiet place get a taxi rather than walk down a you know a quiet pathway just to save five quid you know getting home at night yeah you know being young um and being um self-conscious and worrying what other people 
think about you um, is very usual. And I think in today's world, when we have Instagram and everybody's airbrushed and, you know, um, perfected before they present something on social media, I think it really um, undermines anybody's self-confidence. Um, and, and I think confidence comes with age and with experience and um, good friends will will support you and give you that confidence. So surround yourself with people that you trust. Um, I think that there's a great deal of um, power really um, in, in other women, in other girls supporting each other. And if you have friends who try to, you know, to chip away at you, to undermine your confidence, what I would be saying is that they're really not friends because we, we should all be sticking together in this and supporting each other um, and, you know, encouraging um, our friends to, to believe in themselves, to feel good about themselves. And um, there's enough people in this world that are going to knock you down. So um, the group that you, you, you're in, in, in the Garrick, I'm sure that you all are a really good team of people that, you know, uh, build each other up. And I have to say... Um, that in itself, if, if you're, you know, taking part in performances and acting, that in itself is probably one of the hardest things you will ever have to do. Are, are you, uh, do you perform in, in pantomimes and plays and on stage? Is that what you're, you're doing or as well? Yeah, um, we do quite a few pieces, like we devise a lot of plays um, and uh, we, I think we did good tour sessions, so we do like different plays that um, people make and rewrite as well wow well you know I take my hat off to you because um when I came out of Celebrity Big Brother which in itself was a real um challenge I, I think what I would say is that um whatever age you are there are always things in life that are going to challenge you that are going to make you feel anxious that are going to make you feel nervous I've just become um, better at concealing that in a way but when I came and, and going in Celebrity Big Brother I'm not a performer I've never been on a, a stage I've never been on TV but I went in there to talk about um, failures in the criminal justice system about standing up for what you believe in uh, trying to reach a younger audience to encourage you all to stand up for what you believe in. But I came out of there and I was approached and asked to um, to take part in a pantomime. <laughs> so I, uh, I I was the enchantress in a pantomime uh, the following Christmas in, well, in rugby. And it was probably one of the most terrifying experiences of my whole life. Um, try and remember the words and standing on a stage and thinking I'm going to forget my words. It was... So it was terrifying. So, you know, the very fact that you're able to do that shows that inside you, you have got some self-confidence and you do have self-belief. So, you know, build on that and believe that, you know, if you can do that, I would say you can do just about anything because <laughs> that is still one of the hardest things I have ever done in my life. And I'm not sure I put myself in that position again. Next time, I'd want to be the enchantress with a big book that I can read out of. <laughs> 
So, um, Maggie, would you fancy a membership at the Garrick, perhaps? <laughs> I don't think you'd want me. <laughs> I, I did. It, I actually really enjoyed the experience. That the the people that I worked with um, were, were were great. You know, there were some of them were were well professionals who do it all the time. Um, so I loved I loved the experience, um, and I think as as I moved through the week. Um, I became better because I felt more confident, but it was still very, very scary. So I take my hat off to you all, you know, doing that, uh, to take it on that role. <laughs> um, so obviously you've done a lot of things that I'm guessing were really quite scary, um, especially for standing up for something so valuable. Um, but is there, are there any women that have inspired you to take these steps, you know, either close to you or maybe in the media? I think, well, I know that I didn't seek out this path. You know, I was in a job, in a career that I loved. Um, I worked in serious crime. So I'd worked on lots of gang related shootings. I'd worked on kidnappings. I'd worked on I'd relocated protected witnesses and, and I really loved my job um, and I never expected to have to leave in order to stand up for what I believed in. But um, my conscience is something that is lives with me for the rest of my life and I just couldn't walk away from something that I felt was so horrifically wrong that if I didn't speak out, I was as bad as other people. So it, it, was, it wasn't other people that inspired me onto my journey, but there have been um, a few women that, that have inspired me through my life. Um, I think my biggest inspiration was Princess Diana. <laughs> you know, she was somebody that I truly admired. Um, you know, I remember her, I vividly remember the day that she died. Um, and I was absolutely devastated for somebody. I had actually met her once briefly. Um, but I just felt that she was a woman who, she was a girl who, in my opinion, um, was exploited. And, you know, the establishment used her to provide an heir for the throne this might be controversial but this is you know what I believe in um you know that she was somebody who would provide an heir to the throne and once she'd had the two children she was no longer um needed if you like and and I think that the establishment did everything they could to destroy her um because she'd served her purpose but somehow deep down she had in her a belief that she had been uh, treated badly um, and she found her voice. She began to recreate herself as an independent woman and she went out there and she's, you know, she transformed her life. And, and I look at her and I have tried to, in, in a way, I see some similarities between her journey and mine in that when I left Greater Manchester Police, the chief constable tried to um, 
destroy me really by accusing me personally of being a woman who became too emotionally involved. In other words, I cared too much about these children um, in a way that that was a bad thing. And, and I don't believe that that was a good thing that I care. Um, I'd lost my husband um, to terminal bowel cancer and I'd also lost my little granddaughter. Um, but when the chief constable um, wrote me off as a woman who became too emotionally involved, that I'd been bereaved, kind of that I'd lost the plot. In a way, they were what, no, not in a way, what they were trying to do was shoot the messenger because they all knew that what I was saying was the truth, that these children were being failed on an industrial scale. And they tried to destroy me that, you know, I was threatened with, uh, with, with prison. I thought I would go to prison for speaking out about things that I'd seen. And it was a very, very scary journey. And when I look back at what Princess Diana must have felt in those days when they were saying that she was mentally unstable, that she, you know, she, she developed bulimia. Um, I, I mean, I can only imagine what she went through, but she dug deep and she found strength and she found courage to stand up against people who tried to destroy her. And in a way, that's what I had to find. I had to find inside me the courage and the strength to stand up for the children that had no voice. Um, and I, I don't know where I found that strength, but I do know that in some way, what that chief constable said about me fired me up. And, and I thought, how dare you say that about me when you know that what I am saying is the truth. So I used that energy to, um, you, you know, to tell the world what was going on. Um, but it, it really did almost destroy me. And it's never easy to speak out against the crowd but sometimes it's the right thing to do. Um, and the personal consequences can be pretty horrendous, you know, but it doesn't mean um, that we still shouldn't try. Um, me and my family have had these conversations um, about the patriarchy and about Diana and like all the stuff that she's done. Um, and I was just wondering how, um, how did you feel about being a woman working in a male dominated workplace? Um, again, I, I do talk about this in, in my book because I'm not sure if you're aware, but I, you know, I was married. I've got four children of my own. Um, and when I think what I would like to say to all of your listeners, all you young people, is that life doesn't end at 30 or at 40. Um, I had four children. And when I was um, 30, ooh, 35, um, I'd always wanted to go to university and my parents in my day um, talking about patriarchy they thought it was a waste of time for a woman to go to university to you know to have a career for them and their generation um, you know a woman got married she had children she stayed at home she didn't really have a career but I went to a, a grammar school. I was quite academic. I wanted to go to university and they wouldn't allow me to. So I always had this, um, this 
but this passion inside me that I felt that I hadn't achieved what I could achieve. And when I was 35, I went back to college um, and I did two A-levels. I had four children. My youngest son was three. So I did an English A-level one year and I did a sociology A-level the following year. And the year after that, I went back to Manchester University and I did a full-time humanities degree. Um, and I absolutely loved every women, every minute of it. And, and in a way that was overcoming the conditioning of very much a sexist and mm, male dominated society from when I was young. And in my final year at uni, I applied for teacher training and I also applied to the police. Um, and by this time I was 40, I was 40 years old. So, you know, I was getting on a bit. <laughs> um, and it was only recently before that, that they changed the law or the regulations. Um, there used to be a, a cutoff point for recruits for the police of 39 and I was 40. Um, but I wanted a career that would take me through to retirement, that would give me uh, a challenge. I've always been a bit of a workaholic, like new adventures and new challenges. So I applied for teacher training and I thought I'll apply to the police as well. I actually got in both um, and I decided that I would join the police for one year. And if I didn't like it, I would go and do my teacher training. Um, so I deferred my entry to the PGCE. Um, and I joined Greater Manchester Police um, and I was posted to Moss Side. Um, so that in itself was a massive shock because in those days, it was in 1997, um, you know, there were gangs and guns and drugs and I'd grown up in what I thought was quite a nice area. So it was a, a massive shock to my system. Um, but I went in and I absolutely loved the job. I used to get sent to, you know, the people jobs. So whether it was, if it was a domestic or we had all the universities on my patch, so I'd go and deal with students and having four kids of my own, I think it gave me um, a, a different perspective on, you know, on what, what I could do as opposed to what I should do, if you like. But I found the police in to be um male dominated pretty misogynistic um very antiquated really old-fashioned and every single thing was a massive mountain to climb so i found it quite a challenge um to to get through my probation because i had opinions and i did speak my mind um, and it's a very rank driven organization as well so because somebody was a supervisor and I wasn't you know you have to do as you're told but you know I, I did challenge the, um, the the way of doing things right from the start you know even down to putting my makeup on because <laughs> they didn't want you to put makeup on in case it rained but you know that's part of my identity so you know I learned fairly quickly to stand up for myself. Um, I didn't always win the, the arguments, but I did um, carve out a, a little niche for myself because I was different. But um, I think the organization is still very male dominated. Um, I still think it's antiquated. 
I still, I think we need massive overhaul to the whole of the criminal justice system, which in my opinion, um, you know, when you think that um, only 1.5% of uh, rape allegations end up in a prosecution, that means that out of every 100 rapes that are reported, uh, only one and a, you know, 1.5 of those will ever get to court. And for me, that is, is shocking. Um, and, you know, I'm very vocal. I'm, I'm a real campaigner and, a, and, and that's what's made me start the Maggie Oliver Foundation um, because I won't, I won't turn away from this. You know, we, we are helping, we've only just launched our, pay, we call it pain into power, phone support line to help adult adult survivors of child sexual abuse um, to uh, know that they're not on their own, that they've got somebody to listen to them, that if they, you know, need the hand holding or they need help with a, a, a you know, being heard, whether that's by the authorities or by the police, we're there to help them through that journey. Um, but I still think we've got we've got a mountain to climb as a society and really your generation are the ones who can continue that fight you know I, I feel in, in in many respect respects me and people like me have begun that that battle um there are I think there's strength in numbers um we've got a long long way to go um we've got a long way to go and in the way that COVID has exposed a national health service that was absolutely on its knees, um, the criminal justice system is in equally a bad state. Unfortunately, or fortunately, we don't have a COVID that will expose that. But I know from my day-to-day -day work and my conversations with, with victims and survivors and um, with organisations that are working in, in the whole system, that the criminal justice system is in a mess. Legal aid is virtually non-existent. As I say, rape prosecutions are at an all-time low. Um, victims are have lost trust in the system. And, you know, we, we, we need to get that back. Um, but it's not going to happen in five minutes. And it's not going to happen without you know, girls like you and me and uh, all of us speaking out when, when we see things that are wrong. I think so. you're absolutely right, Maggie. That's partly, well, the, the reason we wanted you on is because it is girls like Ellie and, and Jasmine that, that, and our listeners that would be really nice for them to be, well, they need to be aware of what of what's going on around them and, and carry that and carry that on. And like with me, with my daughter, when she gets to, she's nine now, but when she gets to an age just know know what to look out for and 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 know how to help i think is just the main thing um, yeah I, I, thank you I, you know i'm i'm a really passionate um advocate of justice you know i believe in justice and i take some pride that i have been part of this change in attitudes amongst the public at least you know how many times have we heard it said that they've uh, these children have made a lifestyle choice. Oh, choices, yeah, yeah, that isn't that is not a choice. You've had that choice. It's not a choice. No. You know, a child of you know thirteen or fourteen 
can uh, you know a man of 50 or 60 cannot have sex with a child of 13 or 14 that is against the law and it doesn't matter whether that child says yes or no you know it doesn't matter um you know whether they think they're in a relationship they are not yeah. and it's the duty of the authorities to protect that child what i saw was the polar opposite of that I saw the author I saw the police and the CPS seeing what was going on and because it was too hard to do closing down a full investigation because they couldn't be bothered and that's not just me saying that you know the press conference last year surrounding operation Augusta I spent 15 years um continuing to say that Greater Manchester Police closed that job when we had over a hundred men who were paedophiles that we knew were abusing children and they closed that job because they couldn't be bothered to investigate it. So, you know, I have been a very vocal critic of that and I, if there is one thing that I am proud of, it is that I did not allow the pressure and the fear of going to prison to silence me. You know, I continued to speak the truth, um, never for one moment thinking that that would be publicly acknowledged in an official report, but it was. It's like um, fate though, really, isn't it? When you say you had them two choices where it was teacher training or it was yeah. um, or it was the police, and it feels like a bit like fate that you've kind of ended up in that position because someone else in your position just pro probably wouldn't have done what you've done. It... Uh, I think, you know, you've kind of hit the nail on the head in a way there, Rachel, in that I look back at my life and nobody would have ever, ever said that I would go in the police. Nobody. They would, they would have been more likely to put me as a social worker, you yeah. know? Um, so something took me into the police. And, you know, I am quite a spiritual person. Um, I'm not religious, but there is the older I've got, the more tuned in to signals I am. And, and I look back and I think, has my life's journey been to bring me to this place? You know, I work, you know, I I had four children, I love children, I went in the police, I learned all about the law, I learned about justice, um, I left the police, and then um, I worked on the drama Three Girls for four years, you know, but even that, I knew the team behind Three Girls because I'd worked with them on, a, on another gang related shooting that I'd worked, a double murder that I'd worked on. So I'd spent about six months with them on the, this other case because the BBC wanted to make a drama of it. It's not been made actually yet. But when I first spoke out publicly about what I knew on File on Four, um, the, the producer of Three Girls uh, called me and said, can we, you know, can we come and speak to you, Maggie? Um, and they came up here, they came into my front room and we talked all about the case. Um, and eventually the BBC commissioned it. Um, and That's quite a bold step, isn't it, really, for a, TV, for a television show to commission something like that as well? Yeah, I, I don't... It's so good that you had that production company behind you to, to fight for that, because that is quite a bold... It, it bold was actually... Step. But I think um, what I always say is everything that you do is a compromise. So the drama is a drama. The, the truth is, is far worse than the drama. 
Um, and, and there's a lot in that drama that upsets me because I don't feel it goes far enough. But I worked with the team um, as the programme consultant for four years. It was my whole life. And I bef what happened was they, they came to me and asked me um, to work with them on, on a script for and, and, you know, to bring the actual children into the, the loop so that they would speak to the script writer um, and also the um, tell the, the story of the police, bring um, social workers in. And, um, and I, I said that I would eventually, um, eventually I said that I would do my best to go out and persuade people to tell their stories and allow it to be told in the drama. Um, but what I did say was that I was not prepared to do that unless the BBC 100% guaranteed to make that programme if I brought these children on board. Because what I, what I felt and what I still feel is that the police uh, on Operation Span used, used me to go out and persuade those children to come on board and, and, and help us with a prosecution on the absolute guarantee that if they did that, that they would be supported right through the process. What I saw was the opposite. And I worked with, with the some of the children who spent eight months telling their story only to see the authorities change their mind and decide they weren't going to support them. So I was not prepared to go back again um, to the children that I still support today. You know, I've, I've continued to work with them to get um, acknowledgement that they've been failed, to get compensation, to tell their stories. Um, they're like my own kids in many ways now. Um, but I was not prepared to go out there, bring them on board to tell about everything that's happened to them yet again, only for the BBC to say, sorry, we've changed our mind. So it was only at the point where the BBC, and they've never done this apparently in any other programme, they will not commission a programme without a script. Um, so I said, well, you'll have to find somebody else to to do that for you, because I'm not prepared to bring these kids on board for you, for the BBC to change their mind. Just to because let that, history repeat itself, really, yeah. I suppose. Just yeah. breaking, breaking that trust. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd seen it. So I wasn't prepared to do it again. Um, and and the, the, um, the, the production team went away, said that that will never happen. The, the BBC will just not do that. And I think it was about three months later, I got a phone call um, and got invited down to London. And the, the, the team behind Three Girls said, we never for one moment expected that the BBC would do this. But they have guaranteed that if you can get these children to tell us what happened to them and support the a drama the BBC will make that program so that's when I began working with with them and um, encouraging the, the the girls to tell their story for the greater good of other children yeah. so that they could understand what grooming is what happens to children who are uh, groomed and coerced into um into into being abused and you know how it was in those times when you know these children are being accused of somehow being complicit in their own abuse that I, I will never ever accept that you know never that there is not a child of you know 
13, 14, 15, actually in the law, a child in sexual offences legislation is still a child up to the age of 18. I would never accept that they are responsible for their own abuse. So in a way, um, I was in certain respects very different because there was an attitude that these kids, some of these kids were asking for it, that they deserved what they got, that they liked it, that, well, for me, that is never a reason for doing nothing about it. And what I want to see is the focus on the abusers, on what they are doing that is wrong, how they are targeting the most vulnerable children in order to, um, to abuse and exploit. You know, I don't want victim blaming language, which even the definition um, of child sexual exploitation at the moment still contains the phrase that there is an exchange, that somehow there is an exchange of something that goes on. So the child is somehow exchanging sex for a kebab or a, a bottle of vodka or a pizza. That, that, is, never, that is never acceptable. Um, so they're the kind of fights that, um, you know, I'm still very involved in. Um, I'm working with the Centre for Social Justice. I was a, a, a core participant on the ICSA inquiry. Um, I've spoken to the Home Secretary and I, I'm always speaking to somebody um, trying to bring about the changes that we need. So this has taken over my whole life in many respects. And and, and the Maggie Oliver Foundation now, if anybody, we, we don't support children who are being abused, but we do support adult survivors who have been abused. Um, you know, we have a phone line, we will help um, survivors get justice, be heard with the authorities if they've never spoken out. Um, we, you know, I've got 33 fantastic volunteers now who um, a, a mix of things, you know, we're always looking for for volunteers we're just in the process of making our own journal we did a, a netflix zoom party last week where we had um you know i, I did the, the the people i think they paid 10 pound each to be part of it, and that money went to the charity to our charity but they watched uh, three girls and then we had a, a q a a couple of hours at the end of it where they could ask me what they wanted and you know lot, lots of things going on because i I firmly believe that knowledge is power. Without knowledge, that's why I worked on the drama. That's why I'm always speaking out and doing interviews and articles. Because if you've got the knowledge, you can prepare yourself. You can share that knowledge with others. You can protect yourselves. Um, and we can fight for the changes that we need. So um, I would, you know, anybody who's listening who you know, would like to follow the, the, the journey that I'm on or the fight that we are um, at the forefront of, I would say follow, um, follow me on Instagram, on Twitter, or go to our website, um, Foundation.com. You might have parents listening who are fearful that their children are being abused. You know, we, we, we've linked up with um, PACE, Parents Against Child Exploitation. Um, th there's lots of really good organisations out there, but uh, we all need to join together because there is strength in numbers. Thanks so much, Maggie. And um, 
And if you need anything from the theatre, do you know what I mean? If there's any ever anything that we us guys can do can to like support um Yeah, yeah. I mean I'm always open to to working with you know with with organizations especially with young people i've been into quite a few universities um and done some seminars lectures and that and presentations so for me it's all about education about sharing my um experience um learning together but I, i what i would say to anybody who who who's interested in not just in my journey, but in why I left the police, why I spoke out, what I believe is wrong with the criminal justice system. I would say, read my book. We both um, have. We both read it. <laughs> I mean, it can be quite heavy in places, but I, I, I wanted it to show that I am just an ordinary person. I love but, the um, the line that you say. I said it to Faye before, like the imagery and the line that you said when um, the police officer, your sergeant told you to remove your makeup and you was like, I'll just get waterproof, <laughs> just like straight away, just yeah. like yeah. answer to answer yeah. to that. You know I mean? <laughs> well, I, I won that battle, but I didn't. I didn't win the battle about having a high heel on. Yeah. <laughs> I lost that one. Yeah. I, I think what I would say is pick your battles. Yeah, yeah. Pick your battles. Nobody will ever win everything, yeah. and there are some things that are not as important as others. Lipstick's um, more important than shoes. <laughs> yeah yeah you know I I understood with the shoes because I, I mean I can't run anyway but I did understand <laughs> with the shoes I mean they weren't high heels but they had a little bit of a heel and you know I was always somebody still now I mean I've got my heels on now I never wear flat shoes I hate them you you, you know you'd rarely my hair needs cutting you'd rarely see me without my makeup that is part of who I am yeah, and yeah. actually that's what gives me my confidence um, if you were to see me at like eight o'clock in the morning without any makeup on at all, it's part of my identity and it helps my confidence. Um, and there is nothing wrong with that. And yeah. you know, some people don't wear makeup, some people do. But for me, um, that is part of um, where I, you know, I, I present myself to the world in a way, in that way. But there are some things that you have to accept, you know. Um, and, and, and as I say, pick your battles, but there are some battles and there are some subjects and some um, conflicts of conscience that you, however difficult it is, you have to win. You know, I, I spoke out once in public on file on four. I, I worked on it for about three months and I thought that would be the end of that that for me I thought I had told my story um it was there it was publicly accessible it was proof that I'd tried and I truly thought that would be it you know I'd no longer got a job um I lost my family home I I, I lost my income um my whole life changed um through no fault of mine but my conscience was clear and I wanted my kids to know that I tried my best. And that's really the message that I would like all of your listeners to take home, that all you can do is try your best. And if you believe something, stand up for what you believe in and do your best to put it right and to change things for everybody else. And if you aren't successful, then at least you know that you've tried. So push your boundaries and 
challenge yourself and I would say the world is your oyster and, and have new adventures and new experiences throughout the whole journey of life and that doesn't finish when you're 20 or 30 you know I'm getting on now and I am still having new adventures and new experiences and that's what life should be you know do your best uh, listen to your conscience believe you can do it and then challenge yourself and and push for the for the stars really Maggie, thank you so much for your honesty and passion. Um, you know, they're two values that we really try and instill in our young women and young men as well. Um, Ellie and Jasmine, is there anything else you guys would like to say before we finish? Um, not particularly, just thank you so much. Just thank you so much for talking to us, Maggie. I can't wait to share this interview with my friends and my family because I really want them to hear your story. But just before we go, is there anything that you'd like to leave with our listeners, and especially girls, teenagers and women, for this special episode? The Maggie Oliver Foundation, we have um, what is called a passion statement. You should be brave enough to speak out when something isn't good enough, willing to take responsibility for making things better, creative and daring enough to innovate and determined to persist when things get tough. Every young woman should try to live a life by those principles. And uh, I think you won't know how far you can go until you've tried. Absolutely. Wonderful. Thank you for having me on your um, podcast. Thank you so much for talking to us, Maggie. The advice you gave us was truly eye-opening and it's actually made me think a lot about who I am as a woman and what I can do for other women as well. And thanks to Maggie from all of us at the Garrick for giving us all the opportunity to hear her story. We all know that there's so much more we can learn from Maggie and her foundation. So if you'd like to find out more, you can visit her website at www.themaggieoliverfoundation.com or purchase her honest and inspirational book, Survivors. If you do find that you need any support after listening to this, please take a look at our podcast description for any information you may need. So in tomorrow's episode, we've got two more inspirational women in Stockport, Caroline Bruce and Katie West. Caroline runs multi-award winning debut Academy of Performing Arts just around the corner from our theatre in Stockport. And Katie is actually a former Garrick student, so she's got lots of tales to tell and she's gone on to have a successful acting career. I can't wait to listen to tomorrow's interviews. And just so you know, we're now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and soon to be on Google Podcasts. Please write us a review where you can of what you thought of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. This podcast was produced by Rachel Fitzgerald for the Stockport Garrick Youth Theatre.